What's good, y'all? Welcome to Code Switch. I'm Gene Demby. We want to tell you about these episodes. We're going to do a three-part series after the new year on President Obama's legacy. It's going to be a retrospective that will run the last three weeks of his term in office, in which we talk about in detail what he has meant to America and to race. But this week, to close out 2016, we're bringing you an encore episode. It's my conversation with the filmmaker Barry Jenkins. His movie Moonlight is getting lots of Oscar nomination buzz, and rightly so if you ask me. The source material comes from the playwright Terrell Alvin McCraney. Both McCraney and Jenkins come from the same housing project in Miami. If you missed it the first time around, it's still really dope if I say so myself. Enjoy and Happy New Year. Hey y'all, heads up. The following episode contains offensive language like this. What's a faggot? A faggot is... A word used to make gay people feel bad. What's good, y'all? I'm Gene Demby. And I'm Shireen Marisol Miraji, and this is Code Switch, the Moonlight Edition. Am I a faggot? No. No. You could be gay, but you gotta let nobody call you no faggot. I mean, unless... How do I know? Just do Gina, I haven't seen Moonlight, but that clip gets me. There's mm. so much emotion there. Oh, my God. Isn't it somber? Isn't it like a... It is somber. Why? Why? Why did you choose that clip to start with? Because I was trying to make you feel sad. Um. Yeah, well, good Good job. <laughs> um, no, I mean, one, I mean, I'm about to interview Barry Jenkins, who's the director of Moonlight, um, which I'm excited about. Um, but it's really hard to boil down this movie to a thesis statement, like to like say what this movie is specifically trying to tackle. Um, Mm -hmm. But that scene was like really heartbreaking. Um, And it sort of sets up the trajectory of the rest of the movie, which is going to follow this kid over the course of some decades as he tries to like find himself and find connection to other people. Um, So in that scene, he's sitting at this dinner table with people who are not his biological family, but they're pretty much the only people in the world who like, pay attention to him and show him any sort of affection. And that's because his mom's on crack, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, and this movie takes place in the projects in Liberty City, Miami. Mm-hmm. Uh, you're listening to the drug dealer and his girlfriend in that clip. Yep, played by Janelle Monet. Yes, who I heard was really fabulous in this. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, but anyway, so yeah, you know, the projects, his mom's on crack, the drug dealer is the father figure in his life. It could sound like another cliche story of a black kid living in the quote unquote inner city. But Gene, I know you. I know how picky you are. I know (laughs) how you can't stand stuff like this. And Uh, you have not been able to stop talking about this film. So what does it do to get out of that cliche? You know, it's not really about that stuff. I mean, obviously, it, it informs this journey that this kid is going through. He's, like, trying to figure out, like, how to find love in the world and how to find connection with people. You know, so much of this movie just happens on this character's face because he's, like, so, like, reserved and so reticent of other people. Um, it's just a really well-observed, smart story. And it doesn't fit neatly into a sort of, like, movie about growing up in the hood. It's not... It would be a disservice to call it that, you know? And the two men who made this film, I mean, it probably is really personal because Barry Jenkins, who is the director, mm-hmm. um, and, you know, he took the idea from a play uh, by Terrell McCraney called mm-hmm. In the Moonlight, Black Boys Look Blue. And both of them grew up 
in the projects in this place. Um, A lot of this film was taken from their own personal experience. And I have to say, I I know that they're around the same age as you. Um, The movie takes place at the same time you were a kid, you know, Mm -hmm. in the late 80s. Um, And so, I don't know, did it also have some resonance for you because of that? Yeah, I mean, it definitely, like, I was not expecting it to resonate so close like you know it wasn't expected to vibrate so close to where i live you know um in part because you know like there's a lot of obvious differences between me and the main character in this movie um i'm not gay right or i'm Mm -hmm. not not queer um but so much of this movie is like it's just so relatable from the setting there's this little quiet scene um early on with sharon it's sort of fending for himself and he has to take a bath and he's boiling water on the stove Mm -hmm. um uh, a pot of water on the stove that he has to take into the bathroom so he can have like hot water to to, to, to bathe in. Right. Um, that was my childhood, not because I was like neglected, but because like we were poor and we didn't have hot water. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's just an example of like how well observed it was because that, that scene just passes really quietly. It's sort of to illustrate that this kid is fending for himself in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. Um, when the movie fast forwards a little bit, it jumps ahead to when he's a teenager, you get the sense of like how much of what he and what his peers are doing is a kind of performance, right? They're all young men who are trying to show to each other that they're, like, strong and cool or whatever. Mm -hmm. And I think just being a kid from those circumstances um, at that time period was just, it was really, it hit really close to home. Right. So I'm I'm about to, you know, sit down and talk to Barry. I'm excited. Wish me luck. Good luck. Break a leg. Thank you. I can't wait to listen. I'm going to actually be sitting in studio listening to the interview quietly. Why are you being so nosy? (laughs) Because I haven't seen the film. (laughs) Um, But I can't wait to hear what he has to say and then talk it over with you after. Absolutely. And we'll try to keep the spoilers out for you. All right, so I'm here with uh, Barry Jenkins now, who is sitting across from me. Welcome to Code Switch, Barry. Hey, thanks for having me, bro. I'm amped to do this. We've known each other for sort of a sort of a minute, a, lo- a long time. This is the first I, time we think, met in person. Yeah, going back to medicine. Yes, um, through the social medias and whatnot. <laughs> but it's funny because I came you used to be in Philly, right? Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. And I came to Philly with uh, with medicine for the Philadelphia Film Festival. I think that's when we kind of linked, but but it just never clicked. For those of you who don't know, Medicine for Melancholy was Barry's first movie, his first feature film uh, that came out in 2008. Uh, the uh, festival's 2008, theater's 2009. So let me just ask you about that. I mean, you haven't made a feature-length film since then. Yeah. Um, what's I, going on? I, I've written feature-length films since then, but I haven't made one. So, mm-hmm. yeah, it's just one of those things, man. It takes the right sort of like uh, recipe, puzzle, chemistry. Mm-hmm. It's all come together, and, and nothing came together until this. So what does it take to get a quiet, <laughs> meditative, artistic movie about a black gay kid and the projects made? Is that... It's just like Brad Pitt, or no? Nah, you know, I wouldn't say it's just Brad Pitt, but uh, you know, Plan B was definitely a big component of it. You know, Plan B and A twenty four. You know, I, I think what happened was there were projects I worked on in those five years uh, between medicine and starting this. You know, mm-hmm. it takes a while uh, to make a movie, so this started about three years ago, and uh, they just weren't as personal uh, as this this project was. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's funny because all the things you mention. Uh, likely make this movie challenging you right. know, from a production standpoint, from like a business commercial standpoint. The other projects I worked on were much more commercial than this one. Sure, sure. And yet they just didn't have that thing. They didn't have that fire to them. Um, and with this one, nobody ever talked about, oh, it's black this, gay this, hood that, right. uh, or quiet this, art house that. They were like, oh, this is fire. You mm-hmm. know? And that's that's, what, that's how the conversation was the whole time. So could you sort of elaborate on the Plan B backstory a little bit? With yeah, Brad yeah. Pitt? Yeah, so uh, so I work at this film festival, the Telluride Film Festival. 
I went there in 2002 as a kid at this thing called the Student Symposium, and I've gone back every year. I was like an usher, I made popcorn, all kinds of stuff. <laughs> uh, but when I made medicine in 2008, I got elevated. Uh, I started doing Q&As, programming short films, and uh, I had met uh, Plan B, which is a Brad Pitt's production company, uh, back in like 2009 through medicine. Talked about a few things, lost contact, and then in 2013, I was back at the festival uh, introducing films and 12 Years a Slave uh, world premiered there. And the way Toyota works, nobody knows what's going to be at the festival until the day of. Oh, wow. Even me, as somebody working there, I had no idea. And so on like 12 hours notice, I was told, you're going to introduce and run the Q&A for the world premiere of, of the most important film of the century. <laughs> right, right. Um, <laughs> no pressure. Exactly. And so, and so I do the introduction and, you know, man, smooth, bro. Coup de la. Of course. Crushed of course. It. Yeah. Crushed it, of bro. Of course. And uh, the producers from Plan B were like, oh, hey, man, what have you been up to? And I was like, you know, I actually just came back from, from Europe. I'd gone to Brussels. Uh, to, uh, I was like, I adapted this play by Terrell McCraney. Now, now Plan B, there was this article in The Undefeated about Brad Pitt is the, the wokest white man in the world. Oh, I saw that one, yeah. Well, that's because the people who work at his company, they just know everything. And so I didn't know who Terrell McCraney was. They knew who Terrell McCraney was. Sure. And so their, their ears perked up. And uh, and they were like, oh well, when, you know, when you get into a place where it's solid, you know, uh, you know, slip it to us. We love to read it. And here we are, three years later, and wow. you know, Plan B uh, and A twenty four produced this film. So, uh, with Adela Romanski, uh, my childhood friend. So, yeah, it's just like one of those really, really strange, wonderful, beautiful things that happens in the universe. Because I think there's a version of that Tell You Right Film Festival where I don't introduce Twelve Years a Slave. Slide you know? doors, universe. Yeah. yeah, and who knows what happens, man. So you've been getting a lot of buzz coming out of Toronto Film Festival. And I'm curious, like, what it seems like a really interesting time to be a black filmmaker in Hollywood. This is the obligatory black filmmaker in Hollywood question. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, I mean, not obligatory because you're asking it, so uh, it's, it's a bit different in tone. Yeah, it, it is cool, man, in so many different ways. Like I was saying when I first walked in, mm-hmm. I, I just moved back to L.A. about two years ago. Because you uh, were in the Bay before then, right? I was in the Bay for eight years. I moved back. And, uh, you know, we had, a, we had a rough cut of this. And I was like, man, who am I going to get to watch this? You know, I wanted some people to give me some feedback. And I started going through my, my Rolodex, my virtual Rolodex, and I realized all these black filmmakers were living in L.A. Mm-hmm. So at my first screening, I had Justin Simeon, uh, Tahir Jetta, Terrence Nance, Naimi was there, Khalil Joseph was there, Rod right. Blank. I mean, it was just wow. like like a who's who of like black creatives. And, I got some and like young, too. Like exactly. Young and I got some amazing, amazing feedback. And what it showed me was that, yes, this is a time and that, that my voice is not just a solo voice. Mm-hmm. You know? I think we're all kind of doing these things at once. And I think because of that, anytime any one of us makes a piece there's an audience that realizes, oh, these voices are out there. Oh, let me check for what's coming next, you know? Mm-hmm. And I think there's just so many avenues when people telling diverse stories right now. Diverse, diverse stories. Diverse stories. Uh, now, see, I, did I, 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 did, I slipped into you it, man. It. I slipped into it. It happens. But, but, the, it, so. but there's so many of us now that, that it's not hard to find the market, you know? And mm-hmm. it's not hard for the market to find us. But it's also like these these stories you're talking about are sort of different than like, you know, I'm doing air quotes as I do every episode, mm-hmm. but I'm doing mm-hmm. air quotes around uh, black films, right? Mm-hmm. These are mm-hmm. not sort of like movies that are like history movies. They're not movies. I mean, yeah. you're talking about Terrence Nash, an oversimplification of our beauty. Those mm-hmm. are like contemporary films, yeah. like I said. They're sort of smaller personal films about people and relationships. Yeah, I think personal is the key. Like, like with this film, I didn't set out to make, you know, a black gay hood art house film. Mm-hmm. I set out to make a movie that was based on Terrell's life, you know. Mm-hmm. And Terrell just happens to be, you know, a black gay kid from the projects mm-hmm. uh, who writes in these very sort of... Uh, like artistic sort of ways, you know? It mm-hmm. just lended itself to that because of who Terrell is. And I think it's great that we don't have to engineer these films to fulfill a certain niche or sure. a certain type of archetype of, of what a black film has to be, what an art house film has to be. We're kind of just telling our stories, man. And I think, 
you know, people ask me, oh, why don't you go to Louisiana or Atlanta? You know, just because with tax incentive, the budget could have gone a lot sure, farther. Sure. But there are just things about Miami that just uh, are embedded in the, the fabric of who I am and who Terrell is and, and who the main character in this film is. So, And we should say that both you and Terrell are from... Liberty City Project, Liberty Square. Yeah, yeah, from, um, from Liberty City, born and raised at the same time. Uh, both our moms uh, went through the struggle with uh, uh, crack cocaine addiction that you see uh, depicted by Naomi Harris in the film. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's interesting because I didn't know Terrell growing up. Even though you're probably a couple blocks away from each other, A right? couple blocks from each other, went to some of the same schools at the sure. same time, but never knew each other. Uh, and so when the piece came to me, it was kind of shocking. You know, the question I had in my head was, how does he know the things he knows? You know, mm-hmm. like I thought he don't want to wrote wrote this about me. You know, <laughs> and, you know with, with one uh, very particular difference uh, between myself and himself. That one difference being that Terrell is gay. Right? Yeah, Terrell is openly gay, uh, and and most of his work because I didn't know know anything about him before then. You know, deals mm-hmm. with you know or sexuality is a theme in a lot of his work. Sure. Um, and because the character Chiron, uh, the main character in our film, is based. You know, semi-autobiographical events from Terrell's life as a part of his DNA, also. So let me ask you, like, you know, you're going home, you're shooting this this film. Mm-hmm. Like, how did the folks in your neighborhood um, greet you when you went back home? Did they, it, re- did they remember who you were? Nah. So people people didn't remember who I was. Uh, I probably when I got there didn't talk the same as I did mm-hmm. when I left. You lost your draw. Exactly. Now now by the time I went home, I got back to LA. People were like, <laughs> "You sound different. you listen like Trick Daddy." Yeah. Exactly. Um, but yeah, but but you know, there's a show called The First Forty Eight that shoots down there a lot. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like this cops kind of detective show on A&E. And uh, people had gotten used to that being the only thing that went down at a film. So they were skeptical. You know, mm-hmm. they wanted to make sure we weren't trying to exploit the neighborhood. And it was interesting. At first it was like, you know, who are you? Why are you here? Where are right. you from? Are you from here? You sure? Mm-hmm. Oh, you're, you live where? And then, like, you know, about two weeks in, three weeks in, because we'd be coming back to these locations. It's like, oh, hey, Mr. Jenkins, what's up, man? What's going on? Mm. You, you need an extra for the movie? <laughs> and, and, and then by the by the end, it was like, oh, man, why don't y'all hear more often, you know? And, yeah. and, and there's, in some of these neighborhoods, uh, the drug dealers shoot out the streetlights, you know, because they, they want to be able to operate, yeah. operate in darkness at night. So we would come with our movie lights, you know, and the kids would gather around Video Village. Oh, that dude's from here and he's making a movie. Mm. And then the parents would be like, oh, we love it that you guys are here because the kids can come out and play. Because the lights you guys have put up your lights, right. you know? When was the last time you were home before this? Uh, I mean, all my family still lives there. So I've always gone, you know, once, twice, three times a year, uh, no matter what. But this was different, man. I mean, I had to go down pretty much like once a month sure. for like a year leading up to production. And then for production, I was basically living in Miami uh, for four months. And, and even deeper than living in Miami, I was living in these neighborhoods that I'd sort of, uh, you know, I'd been away from for so long. Mm-hmm. And then because of the story we were telling, it was like I was just getting pulled back into this very first person kind of therapy in a certain way. Was any of that overwhelming or was any of it uh it it was only overwhelming when uh naomi harris showed up because naomi plays uh basically this character who's a composite of my mom and terrell's mom oh wow uh in the film and and there isn't a single thing in this movie that that character goes through that didn't in some way happen to either myself or terrell and so and we had to because of this visa situation naomi had to do all her work in three days oh because naomi's from england from england and despite the fact that we speak the same language our country still can't get on the same page whatever (laughs) and so she gets there and we're doing all her scenes for three for three days i'm doing nothing but watching this woman inhabit embody my mother reliving these very dark things that happen and uh and in the spaces that they happen Bro, it was it was wild. Wait, was wait, wild. wait. Just the, so there, she did this in four in three days. Three days. And so, oh my gosh. so so for three days, Naomi Harris was in it, basically playing my mom, wow. working positive my mom and Terrell's mom. So the in the scene we're about to hear, Naomi Harris's character, Paula, who is Chiron's mom, is trying to get back into their house and the housing projects, and um, she's 
obviously in a bad place. Give me that damn money, Sharon. Give me the damn money. Give me the damn money. I don't have no money. Mama, come on. Give me the damn money. Mama, come on. All right. All right. All right. Give me the damn money. Here, man. Yes. That is what I thought. I know that bitch like a hook and nowhere trick. You my child, okay? And tell that bitch she better not forget it. Go on to school. Ain't you late? Naomi... Naomi was amazing in the film. Naomi was doing uh, the Spectre, James Bond movie was coming out worldwide. Because Naomi Harris, if you don't know, is Money Penny. Is Money Penny, exactly. And so she came from, I want to say Mexico City, flew in on like a Thursday afternoon. I met her in person for the first time, Thursday night. Mm -hmm. And then she's on set uh, that Friday morning. And Friday morning, she films that scene. Wow. And it was, bruh, it was intense because, you know, at that point, all these things I'm doing, you know, more or less, you know, again, there's some things I gave to the character Chiron from my life. You know, sure. a lot of them are from Terrell's life. But now Naomi's here, and now this is my life, you know, or at the very least, it's our life, you sure. know, me and Terrell's life uh, combined. And it went from the process of making the film got, on a scale of 1 to 10, a personal, like a 15. Oh, my gosh. It was just intense. And and Naomi was so good. There was There was a level, based on my personal experience, where I felt like that character needed to go. The rest of the film does not go to that level. This character, I felt, needed to go to that level. Mm -hmm. And Naomi is so gifted that I could push her to that level, and she would always go there. Mm -hmm. And so in, in that sequence, before they get inside the house, we're out in the courtyard. You know, we had filmed the scene, shot, reverse shot, OTS, over the shoulder. And then I thought, this is so dark and so painful for me. I want it to be dark and painful for the audience. Sure. It's so dark and painful for Sharon. I wanted the audience to have to inhabit the character. And Naomi's just so good you hear me say this a thousand times so good we had, we had shot the scene and i said to her i said you know what naomi it, it's it's just not far enough could you do a take looking right into the camera and she goes yes barry i could do that i do it all the time with danny with danny boyle 28 <laughs> days later was that your british accent uh yeah that, that was that was the extent of it bro because I, I i don't want to clown myself and so uh in my head because again these things are personal and emotional she mm -hmm. has this line where she says uh but i'm your mama ain't i that that line I wanted the audience to hear that line how I heard it. You know? uh -huh. I want the audience to be in his head and, and have to look in Naomi's eyes and Paula's eyes as she says that. We, we did the shot, Naomi said the line, and I, got, I was frozen in the moment. I didn't call cut. I only wanted that piece, but I was so into it that I just kept watching her, and she kept going. And the cameraman kept going. And so they walk all the way to the door. She's looking back over her shoulder. You know, the camera comes around. It was just like I was fully fully in that's the very first thing we shot with her and from that wow. point on i went okay this is what it is so uh, a few weeks back i'm just thinking about like <laughs> you know what it means to like grow up in a place like this um you and i were sort of talking on facebook actually mm -hmm. um, about this this quiet scene is like you know it's in passing there's no dialogue um in which little is boiling mm -hmm. a pot of water on the stove mm -hmm. um so he can take that hot water yeah and take a bath with that water um and you see him walk over to the tub and pour it and then he you know, puts cold yeah, water in it yeah, to make it, it up. Yeah. And I, I was saying like that, like literally was my life growing up. And you were like, yeah, me too. Yeah. Um, and I'm just curious, like, uh, I, I remember looking at my girlfriend when I was, cause we had a conversation about that. Mm -hmm. She always complains that I take long showers. I was like, mm -hmm. cause I couldn't take a, I took and take. <laughs> Bruh, right. Right. It's, right. It's, it's the simple things. Bro. Yeah. But like, like to this day, 
to this day, I'm like really studious about having like four rolls of deodorant. Right. Always in, in, in the bathroom because I remember a time when I couldn't afford deodorant. Exactly you know what I mean? Right. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's funny with the, uh, I think that scene for me is, is doing a lot of work, you know. You know, this character of Paula, who's based on my mom, you know, my mom tried for as long as she could to keep it together. Mm-hmm. And, and you know, Miami's a very, a very hot place, you know? And so, but then in the in the October and the fall and the winter, you know, it cools off a little bit, so you don't need AC. Sure. You know? And so you just open the windows, you get that breeze. And so maybe you don't need to keep the lights on because you got a gas stove. Right, know? right. And you can still heat up the pot, even though the electricity's off, to, to you know, to take a warm bath. Absolutely. And so that's kind of what that scene is about mm-hmm. um, in certain ways. But I think also, too, I've had that scene more than any other in the film. I've had people come up to me that I would not expect to go... I can relate to that. that you know? Exactly. And, and, and like black folks, white folks, mm-hmm. all anybody who grew up in a, in a kind of hard way, you know, where you had to, you know, rub two sticks together, you know, mm-hmm. they kind of know what that is. And it's interesting because that's, that's not even one of the more uh, visually or, or, or orally uh, immersive moments, but mm-hmm. but it is something that people can relate to. And, and I think that's why, you know, so far all these places I've been, people identify uh, with the movie, you know. All right, y'all, we're going to come back to my conversation with Barry Jenkins, and we're going to talk a lot about uh, that big theme that is going to power a lot of think pieces about this movie uh, in the next few months, um, ideas around uh, the construction of black masculinity. Our conversation will not sound that jargony, I promise. Stick around. You know you want to. This is Code Switch. Let's take a moment to thank and share a message from our sponsor, LearnVest. Did you know the average indebted American household has over $16,000 in credit card debt? And 31% of Americans have zero retirement savings? The good news is, LearnVest is here to help. LearnVest is redefining financial planning by making it affordable and accessible to everyday Americans. When you work with LearnVest, you tell them what you want to accomplish with your money, and they'll create a customized financial plan to help you get there. To see a financial plan and get a $50 credit, go to LearnVest.com slash CodeSwitch. You're in lists are shouting out CodeSwitch, Invisibilia, How I Built This, and more podcasts as essential listening. So find all that audio goodness on the NPR One app or visit npr.org slash podcasts. Now back to Gene's conversation with Barry Jenkins, the director and writer of the movie Moonlight. I want to... I was trying to get through this interview without saying the words. Yeah. Black masculinity. Gotcha, gotcha. Yeah, that's going to be a tough one, bro. Right. <laughs> it's going to be a tough one. Um, but it, it's got to be said, so... Yeah, and it's appropriate, too. You know, the movie is inherently uh, intersectional, and I will say... Uh, in a very intellectual way, even in the process of making it, we realized that that was going to be one of the sections, you know, mm-hmm. this idea of uh, masculinity and, and the way our characters reflect, mm-hmm. you know, a certain thesis of, uh, of of how I believe that affects young men in our communities. But you go, bro. Your <laughs> no, 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 you I'm just, no, 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 no. You talk, no, you talk just, bro. There's going to be a million think pieces of what, you know, started like uh, moonlight. You know, I, the... I, I, I saw you with that tweet, and, and, you, and you're going to get sick of it before it even starts. <laughs> um, but yeah. I want to listen to this uh, the scene between the main character, Sharon, who's in his 20s um, at this point, um, and he's having a conversation with someone from his past who doesn't quite recognize who he's become. Who is you, man? Who, me? Yeah, nigga, you. Same man in France. That car. Who is you, Sharon? I'm me, man. I ain't trying to be nothing else. 
Oh, okay, so you you hard now. I ain't say that. Well, then what? Hey, 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 I ain't trying to hem you up, man. It's just, I ain't seen you in a minute, and it's not what I expected. Well, what did you expect? So much of that scene is about, you know, um, Chiron sort of has landed at a specific place in, you know, the way he performs mm-hmm. manhood. At least that's what I'm hearing. I mean, the um, way he performs it, the way he wears it. I yeah. Mean, he, he physically has created himself in this image. Completely different, like yeah. less obviously vulnerable way. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, they've sort of, th- these two characters have gone through some of the same experiences. They've obviously arrived at different very places. different places. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm curious, like, what... What are you trying to show there? Like, and that's what are you trying to show? With- well, the conceit, even with uh, the idea of having three different actors playing playing Sharon mm-hmm. or Black or Little over the course of the film, was to sort of show how the world, you know, this projection of masculinity starts to shape uh, these young men. You know, mm-hmm. all this time is passing between each chapter, and I feel like in that time, the characters become a different person. You know, so I wanted to cast different people to play the same person, just to show just how much. Uh, this sort of like nurture versus nature. I'm a nurture person. Mm-hmm. Just how much this idea of this projection of masculinity as a form of nurturing uh, can alter someone. And I think once we get to the third story with Travante Rhodes playing the character Black, Sharon has become a whole different whole person. A whole different person, right. Uh, and, but he's become a different person in a way that I think is fueled by so many different things, you know, is to protect from this hurt, protect from this heartache, but also to protect from the discomfort of this element of his sexuality mm-hmm. that maybe he's not that maybe uh, I think in his past the world has reinforced that accepting the sexuality uh, uh, this aspect of his identity will come with consequences um, and so he's created and built up and fortified uh, this whole thing and I, I love it because this character appears from his past and in a very non-aggressive way sure. starts to sort of check some of those things mm-hmm. and I love the way you framed it they've been through the same thing but in rather different places Right. and rather than trying to explain to uh, the main character how he or how Kevin has arrived at this other place, I think he's just pointing out to him, you are at a different place and I think you belong in. And I think that's where those questions come from. And I love it. I'm just now I'm just speaking purely in performance terms because you watch Andre Holland and you watch Travante Rhodes negotiate that space. I'm talking mm-hmm. like, uh, like emotional or figurative space now. They negotiate that space in a way that Andre kind of becomes a mirror, you know, and mm-hmm. this guy can now see himself. Right. And, and, and it's like, who are you? You know, right. in front of that car, you know, mm-hmm. is that who you are? And he's like, like, man, you don't know me. And exactly. He's like, but, I mean, in a lot of ways, he knows him better than anybody else might. Better than he knows himself at right. that point, mm-hmm. um, which I think is also about this idea of intimacy between men. You know, all different kinds of intimacy. Sure, you know, not, not just romantic or sexual, but, but just the, the way that somebody can talk to you in a way that you probably aren't even prepared to talk to yourself. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's kind of what's going on in that scene for me. But, but yeah. All right, so you want to have the think piece conversation or no? <laughs> about the masculinity? I mean, if you want to do it, let's do it. Well, because, I mean, so... You know, what, what I like with this character, you know, and, and it was a, a choice I made, I think this is masculinity run amok to me. Huh, how so? So it's not just on the street, you know, he's taking it all the way, you sure. know, it's a full denial, you know, this is not about being being on the DL, it's like mm. full, full denial, a full sort of, I think the character retreats into himself mm. and buries all these things, you know, and they are buried, bruh, they are six feet under, you know. But so much of the way we masculinity is constructed for everyone is to do, like not just for people who might be struggling with their sexuality, but like masculinity is like necessarily about sort of not, it's supposed to be about like not being vulnerable in that way, right? Yeah, not being vulnerable and also accepting or projecting the idea 
that not being vulnerable is a necessity. You know, right. this is the only way to survive. You know, mm-hmm. it's almost as necessary as, you know, as finding food to eat. You mm-hmm. know, I, I think in some ways the, the performance of masculinity. I'll speak to the community I grew up in. Sure, literally can be the difference between life and death. Yeah. You know? Um, it's the whole like if if somebody keeps messing with you, you know, if you don't if you don't step to them, you know, growing up there was so many. My mom wasn't like this, thank God, but like you know, mm-hmm. so many kids like you gonna go out there and fight them. Exactly, right? go back out there. So if someone is, is, who hasn't seen the movie and they go see the movie, like mm-hmm. what is it that you want them to take away from about the idea of like masculinity and performance, the stuff that we're talking about right now? Mm-hmm. Like, is there something you want to leave them with, or something you want them to like wrestle with or complicate for them? I think wrestle with for sure. You know, I think when people see the film, you know, for me, I think they should sort of be more aware of the way we project these ideas of masculinity onto men, men of all races, sure. you know, and all spaces and, and persuasions, uh, because because I do think that this character becomes someone that he isn't you know mm-hmm. um, and I think he becomes that way you know because of the world and not because of himself um, and it's I think it's even in a certain way oversimplifying it uh, but, but I do think that's what's at stake you know Terrell and I have been talking about you know who are we he and I who are we in the film you know because mm-hmm. Terrell's like you know I'm kind of Chiron in the second story but I wasn't that quiet and I was like oh, oh I was that quiet you know mm-hmm. um, you were that quiet yeah I was that quiet you know I didn't have you know any issues with my sexuality but I was that quiet you know and so I sort of you know put that into the character you know now Terrell at the age of 13 you know he knew he wanted to, to be in theater you know mm-hmm. he was an actor and, and he wrote plays and things he he expressed himself and but then we both realized okay but neither one of us that guy in the third story and I was like yeah <laughs> we're not you know that's an extrapolation you know of, of what could have happened you know mm-hmm. who we could have become you know uh, if the world affected us in a certain way Absolutely. you know that, that neither of us allowed the world uh, to do because if, if I don't know if you ever met Terrell Terrell is like I'm you know, so I ended up playing football in high school at the high school depicted in the film. You know, mm-hmm. a really big high school. Like, there's three running backs on my high school football team. One is talking to you. The other two made it to the NFL. Wow. It's like that good of a program. I'm 5'8", 170. <laughs> Terrell is like 6'2", 200. So you he should I mean? have, in another in the different universe, he would have been exactly. running back. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Or he could have become this character that we see Tremonte Rhodes play. Absolutely. You know what I mean? Right. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, neither one of us did, you know, but I think the movie is spinning on this idea that some of these young men, they do create this version of themselves, you know, as a reflection of what the world is giving them, you mm-hmm. know, not because of who they truly are. And I think there's something something off about that, you know? There should be nothing about one man cooking dinner for another man, you know, that is less masculine, you know, than any other depiction of masculinity, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so I want to ask you, this is a sort of awkward transition, but I'm going to try it. So, so much of this movie is about Sharon's relationship to his mother. Has your mom seen this movie? She has not, but, but there's been a new development. She actually uh, called me yesterday. Mm-hmm. I think she's getting closer to being willing uh, to see the film. She didn't want to see it before. Uh, you know, I, I think if I gone through the things she went through, uh, it might be difficult to to watch someone else reenact those things. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, if it was hard for me to make it, and I'm on set where there's 30 people standing around, sure. you know, and so I know we're creating this thing, and it's still like really like deeply, bro, just like. This is hard. Right, absolutely. Then, then I can't imagine, you know, going into a theater and sitting down and it's 30 feet high, you know, and, and you can't escape it. So I get it. Um, Did you, I mean, you obviously talked to her about that part of the movie, though. She yeah, obviously knew that, that, she knows that that's in there. Yeah, so she she is happy for me, you know, mm-hmm. and, and she wants me to do my thing. But, uh, but I think, you know, for her to have to relive uh, some of these things that she's already passed, you know, mm-hmm. um, yeah, it's difficult. 
But she called me yesterday because I was in the local paper, and mm-hmm. so and so she read it and she called me, and I I haven't read the damn thing, so I don't know what I said. But whatever I said, it opened up a door a little bit, and so yeah, I think she might. But it's weird. I wanted her to see it by herself mm-hmm. in a theater. Uh, we had a theater just for her. But now I think it might be maybe she's more comfortable going to like you know the multiplex with everybody else. Right, you know? she can sort of blend in. But, which is kind of interesting because because sometimes I, I think of it it just been you had me. It, wait, let's back up. You, was was it, you had a theater just for her. Yeah, and you was gonna like put her in the theater somewhere middle back row, like middle like and let her sort of w- watch w- wherever she wanted, right? And uh, you weren't gonna be there. Uh, I was not gonna. My sister was gonna be there. I was okay. gonna be there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god! There's so much going on in there. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I see what you mean. But but hey, I have a hard time watching this. I've only watched it once with uh, with an audience uh, in 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 Toronto. Mm-hmm. I mean, but I, I've seen it like hundreds of times you know, sure. through the editing process. But but I'd rather watch. See, that's me. I'd rather watch it by myself than mm-hmm. watch it, you know, in front of seven hundred strangers. So you're know? watching it in Toronto. Like, what what are you feeling? It was a film festival. It was, uh, I mean, it was it was wild, man. I I watched maybe eighty percent of it because I kept finding reasons to go to the bathroom at very particular moments. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, yeah, oh, I, I just got a week later. Yeah, yeah. exactly. I, you know, I, I did watch the heaviest scene, the hardest scene for me to watch, I which did. is uh, the scene in the third story, uh, where the only scene between the mom and uh, and, and Chabron. Oh, in the third story. Spoiler, we probably shouldn't say that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I, I so I did I did watch that one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I felt like I had to watch that one. Uh, and I did, um, and it, it was it was cathartic, man. You, you know, to to share because I was you know in, when I'm in an audience, I can feel the room. Yeah. And so to to feel the audience because it's a it's an interesting scene. There's all these I'm speaking dramaturgy. You know, there's all these these little arcs with, uh, throughout the scene, and to feel the audience ride the waves of those arcs because there is a release uh, at the end of that scene or, or at the button of that scene. It was, uh, you know, I felt like we had gotten it right, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and I'd, I'd known that in the back of my head, but to be in an audience and feel an audience respond to the fact that you got it right, um, it was it was interesting. And so maybe she'll feel the same way uh, because now, you know, either she's going to wait for the DVD <laughs> or she's going to go probably to like the Tuesday 12-15 uh, and, and see the movie uh, with my sister. You ain't gonna make your mom buy the DVD though. You gonna, you know what I mean? No, 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 bro. I'm t- <laughs> hey, like I said, we put it up in a room, but uh, but you know she wasn't ready. But I think she's getting close to being ready now. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I think part of it too is I think you know word is getting around, and so many people are having these very visceral reactions to Terrell and I. I think just being very honest about we about what we went through uh, as children, you know, becoming as boys, becoming men, uh, so to speak. And I think part of that too is what's what's opening. You know, or at the very least, thawing the sort of like distance uh, she wants to put between herself uh, and the movie, or 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 and the character. You know, mm-hmm. you know what she said to me was, you know, she's like, yeah, you know, I, I was out there, I, I did those things, you know, mm-hmm. and 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 I, and I, that was where she left it as huh. of, as of yesterday. <laughs> huh. But well, we shall see. Yeah. See, man. See, now you get Terry Gross on it, right? <laughs> That's my goal in life. Yeah, basically. Barry Jenkins is the writer and director of Moonlight, which has been getting tons of acclaim, um, rightly so, I think. Thank you so much, man. I'm, I'm glad you came to rock with us. I'm glad we finally got to do this. My pleasure, bro. Uh, it took me too long to get here, man. Absolutely. You gotta come back. Yeah, yeah for sure, for sure. Uh, it won't be eight years, I promise. <laughs> All right, Shereen, so you were listening to that because you're nosy. You were being nosy. Um, I was being nosy, and it was so difficult not to butt in. First of all, because Barry Jenkins, oh, I just love his energy, his voice. You're saying that because he lived in the Bay for a minute. Crush. <laughs> so obviously, you know, the personal, this is so important to Barry and the way he tells stories. And mm-hmm. I have to say, the whole time that I was sitting here 
<laughs> trapped listening to you guys, not able to butt in. But I kept thinking, what does Barry's mom think about this? I mean, here he is being very open about how this is uh, his mom and Terrell's mom and very clear about they had issues with crack. And I just thought, mm-hmm. oh, God. And and I was wondering if you were going to ask the question because it's such a personal question. And you asked it, and that whole I was out there, I did those things, that yeah. phone call where she said that. Oh, That's thank a, you for asking that question, Gene. No, no. I, I, I mean, you know, like it almost, it's like too heavy a question to sort of like, I, I didn't know how to get into it, you know? No. But, but I mean, it's obviously like floating on the edges of the conversation. It was top of mind for me, and I know I'm not the only one. I mean, I feel like our listeners have breathed a sigh of relief when you ask that question. Yeah. <laughs> They're like, yes, I wanted to know that too. Um yeah, and you know, and also just listening to the conversation and listening through the clips, I am over here crying, and I haven't even seen the film. You, you know, cry at everything, though. To be I fair. do, and so speaking of sensitivity and like projections of masculinity and mm-hmm. toughness and all that, I have to ask the obvious question: What's that? Did you cry, Gene? I didn't cry. What? I didn't because I, I. You didn't cry. It. <sighs> So I should say I'm not a crier, right? I'm not usually a crier. Um, uh-huh. uh, but like it, like I definitely felt like punched in the stomach, you know, at the end of the movie. Mm-hmm. Like, um, although well, not and in also the same way. you said I'm not a crier, and that could also be because of how you were raised or how you felt you, like you had to be suppressing that urge to cry. Because I'm sure at one point in your life you cry, you were a crier. Oh yeah, I mean, like I was a crybaby. Of First of all, we ain't gonna psychoanalyze me here. This, <laughs> not Why out not? <laughs> I want to be Terry Gross too. By the way, you're not the only one. All of us want to be. Um, <laughs> but no, I mean, I definitely at the end of it, like it was one of those things. Like I just need to sit here for a second. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, and and there were definitely people at my screening who were crying. But it's not, you know, at the top you were saying like, you know, this is a movie about the hood, and you know, mom, she was a crackhead, and all sort of stuff like that, and like. That's all true, but this is not a movie that is about misery. You know what I mean? Um, it's about like something a little bit more like nuanced and complicated than that. All right, family, that is our show for this week, and we want to hear from you. Email us at codeswitch at npr.org. Follow us on Twitter at NPR Code Switch. You should definitely subscribe to our podcast wherever fine podcasts can be found or streamed. And Walter Ray Watson and Rund Abdel Fattah produced this episode. Our editorial assistant is Leah Danella. And we've got original music by Ramteen Arablouie. A shout out to the rest of the Code Switch team Adrian yes. Florido, Karen Grigsby Bates, Kat Chow. Our editors are Keith Woods and Allison McAdam. I'm Gene Demby. And I'm Shereen Marisol Miraji. Be easy. Peace. Peace.